This is the Exercise Mechanic Podcast. I'm your host, Etienne Asnick. Hey, everybody. Today, we're joined by Ryan Taylor. He's an ex-colleague of mine from my good life days and a frequent flyer on this show. I wanted to bring Ryan back for a few reasons. Number one, Ryan and I have had many great conversations about exercise and personal training over the years, and he's quite well versed with the topic of program design, which is a topic that hasn't yet been broached on this show, but it's an absolutely essential ingredient to discuss and consider for all types of goals, whether they be muscle gain, strength gain, pain management, or all other goals that our clients will present to us. Number two, Ryan is the type of person that tends to make me better. He has the type of mind that asks what I call springboard questions, questions that, at least for me, have catalyzed insight on more than one occasion. In this episode, we discuss program design for muscle gain, strength gain, general health, and pain management. And we also talk about pharmaceutically enhanced athletes and some considerations when working with them. Later on in the episode, we also have a wonderful cameo from his partner, Shannon, who had a few nuggets to add to this conversation. Please note that this was recorded in Ryan and Shannon's home. And so shout out first and foremost to Ryan and Shannon for hosting me. And because of this, because we were seated in close proximity, you may on a few occasions detect some subtle audio bleed. So apologies for that. Now, before we get started, I do want to bring your attention to one of our upcoming programs. The Exercise Mechanic has launched a brand new initiative called the Joint Injury Management Series. In this series, we focus on the big three. So knee injuries, low back injuries, and shoulder injuries, and we empower personal trainers so as to feel more competent with regards to the functional anatomy of the region, the most common injuries that personal trainers will encounter in those regions, and, of course, how to help personal trainers guide their clients out of pain with a modern approach. The next module will be on the low back, so if you're a personal trainer who wants to learn more about the low back musculoskeletal anatomy, how to help your clients hurt less, and maybe even make them more resilient against future injury, you're not going to want to miss this next course. To access the early bird registration and exclusive discounts, simply make sure you're on our email list to get first dibs. The link to register for our email list can be found in the show notes, or simply head over to www.theexercisemechanic.com to join. All right, let's get started with today's episode with Ryan Taylor. Ryan Taylor, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello. Hello, my friend. It's been a long time. Part two. Yes. Part dose. As some people would say. Yes. Yes. Um, so before recording, we were talking about program design. Mm-hmm. And I had this question in my mind that I've decided to scrap. Okay. Because you mentioned something earlier about this metaphor of the bullseye that I thought was really interesting when we were kind of getting warmed up about this program design conversation. And you said something to the effect of that program design is a little bit less about, you know, what you say yes to, and it's a little bit more about what you say no to. Mm-hmm. And that I thought was interesting. It's not a stance that I've heard before. So what the heck do you mean by that? Let's get into that again. All right. Uh, I'll try to be as concise as possible. <laughs> um, I'll start with, cause we were talking about this before I find program design is this conversation that comes up a lot. And I think that program design is an incredibly important component of training clients, but people also think that it's like a magic pill. Um, 
or that it, it in and of itself is like a, an entity. I think that program design is really learning how to manage a wide variety of variable variables, take a lot of considerations, um, in, and we ask ourselves a whole bunch of questions and we kind of end up with a plan that's good enough. We need something close enough to meet whatever their needs analysis, uh, sort of gives us it has to be specific enough that it's going to you know um, stimulate and provide us with the certain adaptations that we're looking for so there's certain considerations that need to go into play uh, come into play sorry and ultimately the thing that i think about is we have a target that we need to hit with that client or ourselves mm-hmm. both in a particular session, in a microcycle, a mesocycle, uh, and then ultimately a macro cycle. Like there's let's define that real quick. So for those that haven't heard macro, meso, and microcycles, what do you mean by that before we move forward? Yeah, so uh very generally, macro cycle would be sort of the gross overview of your training <clears throat> um on a time scale. So you could say a year or two years, something along those lines. Just so it's like the bigger picture. Big picture goals. Uh, Mesocycle would be then breaking down that macro cycle into sort of intermediate chunks that have their uh, own distinct purpose. Mm -hmm. So, for example, if we were to look at uh, powerlifting, a macro cycle might say, you know, I have a meet uh, a competition at X date, uh, let's say a year from now, and the process that I'm going to use to prep for that meet is really far out. I'm going to have a mesocycle designed to build as much muscle mass as possible. So a mesocycle or two where the purpose is to build muscle, you might have a, another mesocycle, you know, you progressively get more specific. So you've got kind of these chunks of training with their own short-term focus that ultimately lead to, um, hopefully working towards whatever the goal is at the end of the macro cycle. And then a micro cycle is just breaking that uh, mesocycle into smaller components. Usually people think of a micro cycle as like a week. Mm, okay. Um, I've heard people even make reference to it as being like a workout itself. Yeah. I think of, I tend to think of it as whatever your quote unquote split would be. So most people work on like a seven day split. So they might, you know, four days on three days off, something like that. Some people might, their micro cycle might be four workouts rotated over eight days, for example. So mm. the the definition's a little bit flexible. Um, so I tend to think of it like, what's the rotation that you're going through? Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't call a workout a, a micro cycle. Like I would just define that as a single session. It's a nano cycle. It's a nano cycle. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, yeah. So those are just sort of the basic definitions of kind of the components of um, program design. If I may, I, mm-hmm. I was speaking with someone not too long ago and they used this comparison and they were Harry Potter fans like I am. And they used this analogy of a book. Mm-hmm. And so they used, I think it was the example of the third Harry Potter book, Prisoner of Azkaban, I think it, where it was. And they were like, for example, the goal of that book is to introduce this character, Sirius Black. Spoiler alert, if you haven't read the third Prisoner of Azkaban, we're about to like give things away. Um, so It's int- been two decades. You could says, read the fucking yeah, yeah. book. Hey, man, you know, I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. Um, so, you know, introduce this character of Sirius Black. Spoiler alert, he's Harry's godfather. 
I think. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's things that happen to him towards the end of the book and blah, blah, blah. And so, you know, it kind of revolves around that. So that's the purpose of the book. And they compared that to the uh, macro macro cycle. Yeah. And then the mesos were the individual chapters of like, here's this journey that happens or the, these distinct yeah chapters of this book. And then within that, those chapters, there's conversations and individual storylines that were the micro cycles. So yep. that was, that's an analogy that I've heard. Yeah, I think Would that analogy is perfect. Yeah. yeah, cool. Okay, carry um, on. Yeah, so anyway, um, I can't remember what the original question was. Though. Talk about hitting a bullseye. Yes. Um, yeah, so within macro, meso, micro, and single session, we have a goal that we're trying to attain. So I have to, the way that I look at it is there's sort of a bullseye that I need to hit. Um, and what I mean by that is I have to provide a stimulus specific to the adaptation that I'm trying to attain. Mm -hmm. So if again, my goal is to, uh, powerlifting is really easy because it's a, it's a sport with clearly defined parameters. Mm -hmm. Um, so it's very specific. So if I say I want to improve my squat by 10 kilos, well, I have to do the things required to improve my squat by 10 kilos. Um, I don't think that doing skip rope is going to hit that bullseye, right? Yeah. So it has to be specific enough to get me closer to that thing. Again, there's wiggle room for how you choose to um, prioritize the the methods in which you use to get there. But there's this bullseye you need to hit. As you get more advanced, uh, as you get fitter, I think that that bullseye gets smaller and smaller and smaller. So if you were somebody who was completely brand new to the gym, and let's, let's just say you don't have um, some really traumatic, you know, um, injury history or something like that, because then maybe the bullseye is smaller for certain things. You could probably speak to that better than I could. Um, but let's just say like general, you know, mom or dad has an exercise. They're not in great shape. Mm-hmm. You can almost do anything related to exercise yeah, and they're going to get better at like a wide variety of qualities. They're going to get stronger. Um, they're like going to improve their metabolic conditioning. They're probably going to lose weight. They're probably going to gain some muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't matter if you like press, like extension, squat, lunch, like all of those things are going to get them closer to that thing. Mm-hmm. You take Usain Bolt, who's running the 100 meter, and he's trying to beat a guy by a thousandth of a second. That bullseye is so fucking tiny right? that exactly what I do with him in the gym and what I do with his nutrition and his sleep, all of those things have to be so, so, so precise mm-hmm. because the goal is so tiny and he's arguably the, the best athlete in the world. Um, certainly I would make the best Olympic athlete that we've ever had, Mm -hmm. uh, at the summer games. So that bullseye is tiny and I have to make really good decisions to hit that thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm going to kind of, I'm going off on a bit of a tangent here, but this is where something I know you and I see eye to eye. This is where I think having an understanding of the underlying components of exercise, i.e. anatomy, physiology, um, uh, like a, applied biomechanics, neurology. Mm-hmm. I even say like biochemistry as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, 
when I provide some kind of a stimulus to the body, like one part of that whole equation is external. The rest of it is internal mechanisms. Mm -hmm. Like I just set off this chain reaction of biochemical reactions that happen in my body. Right. Um, and if I understand those and then the nutrition supplementation, all that stuff that's going to facilitate that again, to get that thousandth of a second, my, the better understanding I have of each of those details, I can make more precise decisions to actually hit that bullseye. Mm -hmm. You know, Tom Purvis, yeah. uh, was one of my mentors. He used this analogy, um, which was something to the effect of, you know, there's two different ways that you can get a nail inside of wood. Mm -hmm. You know, one is like, you know, you've got this nail that's, you know, semi insert into wood and you can like smack it left, right up, you know, up, down, et cetera. You can like whack it all over the place. And eventually if you do that long enough, it'll probably kind of sort of make its way into the wood. And he's like, but that isn't how he would define success. Mm -hmm. And he was like, he's like, I would define success when it comes to getting nail in the wood as like, like examining the, the, you know, the, the, the wood, the nail, and then being really precise with one or two hits and you get it in. And it also mitigates the damage to the board in and of itself as well in the nail. And so, you know, he, he's very much an advocate for specificity, yep. right. Through this understanding of mechanics of like, when we can understand the components, we can be mega precise with the what and the how much of what we do. So as to get our clients exactly what they want with like a minimum dose. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and, I would say his analogy describes the same thing that I'm attempting to describe when we talk about the bullseye. Mm -hmm. We spoke with this earlier. Mm -hmm. um, there's a few ways you can hit that bullseye. I I use the example example. Sorry, example is good. Example of the shotgun approach or like the sniper rifle approach. Mm -hmm. And this is when we talk about it's not necessarily always about what you do. I do think you need to do the right things. Um, in terms of, like you said, things being specific enough, but you also need to minimize the things that are not going to get me closer to that goal. And definitely the things that are actually going to take me away from it. Mm -hmm. So if I shoot a shotgun at a target, probably one of those bullets is going to hit the center of the bullseye. Like, great. I did it. <laughs> yay, I, yeah, I yay, right? yeah, for sure. But then the collateral damage of that is I ripped the target to shreds. Mm -hmm. So if you just do enough of everything, you're eventually going to stumble kind of ass backwards into maybe like hitting the target um, with a whole like list of repercussions along the way. If I take the sniper rifle approach, I shoot it once, I hit the bullseye, Bob's your uncle, I go home. Mm -hmm. And there's a time and a place, I would say, kind of for both. Like volume is a good thing. It's just a dial that I can turn up or down. Intensity is a dial I can turn up or down. Again, I'm going to use the Usain Bolt analogy. So I have to do, I mean, I don't know what the hell they did with Usain Bolt in his training. Obviously, it worked really well. If I beat Usain Bolt into a fucking pulp during his training session, and his legs are beat up, and he's slower the next day in training, and now... He's running slower times in practice and his stride length changes. Like if I, it, mm -hmm. these things have, um, we talk about this a lot. Like a phrase I like is these things don't happen in a vacuum. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. I gave him this great workout that led to a series of bad, uh, results and bad workouts several workouts later. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And maybe he slept poorly. Maybe he had to like, there's all of these things now that I have to manage. 
Maybe he has like a higher degree of local inflammation, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So Mm -hmm. again, ma and pa, eh, I could probably, you can almost throw anything at them and it'll improve their general fitness and all those other things. Right. Yeah. and, and, And I think there's an argument too, um, where like their ability to push something to that level that's going to cause that kind of damage probably isn't that high anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the guy who's never squatted in the gym before isn't going to walk into the gym and squat 400 kilos for three triples and like cause a myriad of, of a, like fatigue, right? Have you ever found, I, I, just like a sidebar, mm-hmm. uh, but what you just said prompted this in my mind. Have you ever... Would you say that a beginner, their assessment of perhaps what might be like a two or four RIR, like mm-hmm. a rep and reserve type of thing is not actually representative of what their actual capacity is. And thus that leads to a general kind of self-management of volume and that it tends to be submaximal. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I would, I would agree with that to the point that I actually think asking them to do that's detrimental. I think people's ability, even in trained individuals, their ability to gauge reps and reserve or RPE, whatever, is mm-hmm. actually incredibly poor. Interesting. So, even for trained individuals? Yeah. So, there was, I wish I could tell you who did the study, but there was a study that was done. Um, I'm going to forget some of the specific numbers, but I think that the general concept is going to apply. Sure. Um, they took, uh, a group of young, I believe it was young men, excuse me, young men, university age. And I believe the cutoff is they had to have a minimum squat of a hundred kilos for six. Hmm. So they're not elite level powerlifters, but they're like people who have trained strong enough for sure. strong enough. Yeah. They asked them to estimate. I can't, it might've been a six rep max. I don't remember the exact rep, uh, rep number they gave them, but they asked them to estimate some kind of rep max. And then they had them take that weight and rep it out. And people were literally doubling their estimated reps. Hmm. So these are people who have trained before. They have experience at the gym. They probably have a certain degree of efficiency in, in the squat in this particular case. Right. And these people were five, six, seven, sometimes up to 10 reps away from failure. Hmm. So when they came in, that's based off of their estimated. Ba- max. Yeah, based so- on what their estimation was. So they would have been like, oh, yeah, I can hit this for five reps. And then they hit it for 11. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well. So if you went just off of what they thought their ability to gauge RIR was, if we're looking, so in this case, if we're looking in the uh, context of hypertrophy, we do know that the closer we, the, the proximity to failure does actually have an effect on the hypertrophy stimulus that somebody gets. Mm-hmm. Like if I do one rep of something that I could have gotten 10, I'm probably not going to grow a significant amount of muscle. Shoot. Ah, it's tough. But if I, you know, if I have a weight that I could hit 10, 10 rep max for, probably seven, eight, nine, and then up to 10 reps are all going to provide me with a pretty sufficient stimulus. Mm-hmm. Strength's going to be a little bit different because there's a skill component there. Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly if we're looking at tissue adaptation, there's a proximity of failure that like threshold that we need to meet. Mm-hmm. With people on it, like I said, pretty much anyone below like an advanced trainee, and I'm, I'll get to that actually in a second, mm. like I would include intermediate and definitely beginner and novice trainees, I don't use RIR at all. If anything, I actually will push them, again, depending on the person, 
depending on if things like assuming the exercise is safe, like I want to make sure that that's clear, but let's say like a leg extension, people aren't, there's not a massive skill component to a leg extension. It's hard to get yourself hurt on it. Mm-hmm. I'm going to push that thing to failure because, or what they perceive to be failure. Cause even their failure may not even be true failure. Mm-hmm. Like it's going to be really, really hard and probably a really experienced trainee could eke out another rep or two mm-hmm. and then they stop. But I got them, I, they hit that threshold. Right. If I ask them to stop when they think that it's like an eight rep max or something, or sorry, let me rephrase that. If I ask them to stop when they think it's like a three RIR or two RIR, they're going to be way off the mark. And I just waste it. Like I did work and I like moved joints and stuff but I didn't really provide them a stimulus that was superfluous enough to lead to the adaptations that I'm looking for. Does that so, make sense? So does RIR, is it only worth using with individuals that have an accurate representation of what their maximum is? In my, in my uh, experience, yes. Because, you know, the, 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 I don't know. I, um, the question that I have in my mind, and I'm going to stumble through this, is... You know, I think people have been using people like uh, in the training world, been using the RIR under various names. Yeah. RPE, like RIR, same thing, you know, yeah. or like, yeah, just like leave a rep in the tank, even mm-hmm. if it wasn't called RIR or RP before, right? Mm-hmm. The rep in the tank method. Mm-hmm. And people have been using that for a while. And over years, people have still gotten stronger and bigger and, yeah. you know, more peeled, mm-hmm. uh, to use your word. And so... The question that I have is, does it matter? To what degree does it matter that the RAR isn't necessarily a true RAR when it comes to progress? So as much as it's, like we said, like true in a vacuum, Mm -hmm. that it's like, you know, this might not be your true, let's say a hypothetical client. Let's say I'm training Shannon and we're doing a squat. It's 200 pounds and we want to have a two RIR type of situation. And so we stop at seven because mm-hmm. it looks like, I don't know, that she could only get to nine or her perception of herself is that it would stop at nine, mm-hmm. let's say. And uh, and so we do that. And thanks to the training relationship that we fostered, I can then take that, blend it with the larger context of the rest of her training. And, and you know, let's say we we, we apply a certain method for, four weeks or six weeks and it's not progressing, then I can just turn up, get her to do like more sets Mm -hmm. at that um, perceived percentage of her maximum and then trigger adaptation. Are you understanding? Yeah. 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 Yeah, So so, um, how is it, you know, so this, this Delta between subjective perception of RIR and true RIR, Mm -hmm. is it, is it so big to the point that you would recommend to the point where we don't even use that, like you were saying, for advanced and intermediate trainees? Mm-hmm. For real? Really? So here's here's what I would say. So the first part is, um, I believe you have said this, and so I'm going to steal it because it's one of my favorite things. I think I'm going to get something thrown back at me. Here we go. <laughs> the dirty secret of the fitness industry is lots of stuff works. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love that. So yeah. the thing is, is would that method probably work? Uh, yeah. I assume so. Mm-hmm. My assumption here, though, is she's probably going to still hit 
maybe it's not a really high threshold, but she's, I assume if you're training somebody, you can gauge their level of effort, rep speed, whatever. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're four reps away from failure and not two. Mm-hmm. I would say you're probably still above the threshold of still providing enough, like enough stimulus, enough bout of a stimulus in that particular set. Here's the other part. And this is where this can work. And I usually don't like this. Like this word is so much like functional that the word functional and training got completely twisted. And for those that can't see Ryan's doing bunny ears. Yeah. Um, the word like optimal or optimization has, has kind of gone through the same thing mm-hmm. as much as I love talking about biomechanics, mm-hmm. um, optimal and biomechanics have just like gotten smushed together. They're bedfellows. <clears throat> exactly. Yeah. So, but if we're looking at quote unquote, optimizing somebody's training. So we talked about before, it's not about what I say yes to. It's about what I say no to. Mm-hmm. So let's say to fill the bucket, we're talking hypertrophy. So let's just stick in that category um because i think sports specific training is kind of its own animal because now you're talking about multiple qualities mm-hmm. that's why i use the usain bolt thing mm-hmm. i'm not just trying to make his legs big and strong he's also got to run mm-hmm. um and there's other stuff so when we talk about just gym related activities it's nice because there's just less comp uh, compounding variables confounding variables yes sure let's go with that to both of them cool I think it honestly they they compound and they can confound. Cool. All right, so we're talking about uh it's what I say no to, right? Mhm. When I do a set of something, I'm there's mechanical tension <clears throat> on my musculature, right? Mm-hmm. Awesome. There's some metabolic part byproduct. There's going to be um, again, all these biochemical processes that are going to happen. Um, I believe it's mTOR gets activated, right? Mm-hmm. So on and so forth. There's also joint stress. There's, um, going to be like, you know, depending on what activity I'm doing, maybe there's some axial loading. Um, maybe there's an increase of stress, like, um, We've talked about this before, kind of like central nervous system fatigue. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So there's a variety of these other things that are going to come along with that. Um, So let's say, and, and if I'm doing more sets now, maybe depending on the person, if your goal is just changing body composition, as opposed to just building muscle, maybe doing a greater amount of work or a greater density of work is a good thing because there's going to be a greater amount of glucose that gets taken up. They're going to burn more calories during their workout. Maybe that is actually beneficial in that particular mesocycle that you're training. But let's say whatever, you know, threshold of stimulus you need to get to, to build muscle in this person's legs. If I take these sets up to a rep within failure, Mm -hmm. let's say I can do that in three work sets. If I have to do, if I go four reps from failure to attain that same stimulus, I now have to do six. Mm -hmm. That's three additional sets with all of those additional things that I have to recover from. 
right? So now my nutrition needs to support that. Maybe what happens is I go into my next training session with a higher level of fatigue. So now my training performance the following day drops off a little bit, right? Or maybe if I do this because the volume is so high, my mesocycle has to end at four weeks of accumulation instead of six. Or can I jump in? Yeah, sure. This is where I, I find it's this is. One of the reasons why the program programming conversation mm-hmm. fascinates me yeah. is that it's incredibly nuanced, right? And Very. it's like without having a client in front of us, we really can't pinpoint down to like what might be best for them. Yeah. But um, it seems, you know, I've, I've heard, because I've also heard the opposite, right? Mm-hmm. Of like, let's say, I don't know, let's say someone's capacity to recover is less than another person, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and honestly, I'll speak about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, as I've kind of been re-engaging into doing more barbell work, mm-hmm. um, I've chosen to do, uh, let's say, a weight that I could do for 10 repetitions instead of doing three sets of 10. Uh, so I don't know. That would be you know, 30, yeah, 30 reps. I'll do like five or six sets of six. Mm-hmm. And so then, you know, within that workout, it'll a, for sure, it takes longer. And like, that's something that I'm, I'm cool with. Like I'm cool with that cost, but then there's, there's some favorable things that seemingly happen for me in that I can recover faster from that type of workout than the three by 10 that I'm going real hard. And like my eyes are bleeding, you know? Um, and, and, and it, yeah. And in addition to that, I can even redo that, you know, six sets of six twice during you know, uh, during like a seven day week Mm -hmm. or training, training cycle kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so, um, it's, it's really interesting because I, I, I agree with you. And I, and I also think that there's, would you agree that there's value in assessing, okay, like where's this person at, what's their capacity to recover and like what type of stressors do they, do they recover well from versus are there other types of stressors or, uh, I don't know, specific energy system demands that just rock them hard and subsequently, you know, let's say aerobic stuff kills them. And so we need to be really conservative with those doses until, you know, they, they, they get better at covering from those things. But then this person with their powerlifting background can, can handle 10 sets of three and feel totally fine. Because that's like a walk in, in the park. Yeah, 100%. So this is, again, this is why at the very beginning, I said, it starts with having a needs analysis, yeah. right? Like that's the first component. All of those things can work. Mm-hmm. And to me, it sounds again like your needs analysis and then the um, particular goal where you are in your training right now isn't specific to let's build the beefiest quads possible. It's let's reintegrate this movement. Mm-hmm. So if, I, if I'm doing tons of submaximal work and tons of sets, well, if, if I'm looking at how can I increase my comfort level and my proficiency in this particular movement, for sure, I've got six exposures to it instead of three. Right. So like from and a skill development, from a skill perspective. development yeah. perspective, right? Yeah, so like I'm trying to attain more of a neurological adaptation, right? So, uh, and then if, you know, the one, the three by 10, you're smashed and you can't train it till the next week. So you've got three exposures to this and probably your rep speed would decrease. Mm-hmm. As you hit 
get closer towards failure because that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So maybe you're even getting a, again, I'm going to put this in quotes, like suboptimal exposure to technique. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas if you do the six by six, all of the rep speeds are roughly the same. Technique's roughly the same. You could do it twice a week. So you've got 12 exposures, so to speak, to really good technique work. Mm-hmm. And then as your proficiency improves, then you can, depending on whatever the overlying or the overarching goal is big quads where your needs. Yeah. So then you go, okay, now I want big quads. My comfort level with squatting is through the roof. Yes. I've still had some kind of a, um, mechanical tension as well as metabolic stimulus, albeit Mm -hmm. small. Mm -hmm. I've had some now my, a bit like my skill of doing this thing is really, really good. So now I can start to put some load on this bar. Now I can add some volume. So and take so those sets further and take those sets further. So like, I'll, I'm going to use a couple examples here. Cause we talk about, this is where I think all of these, I love the nuance of program design personally. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. it's a thing that I think is so fun because the answer is ever changing. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I think it always starts with a needs analysis or just asking questions, however you want to phrase it. And it changes for people throughout um, their, I'll just call it a lifting career or their exercise career. Um, changes depending on on if their goals change, right? Mm-hmm. Different body compositions will change things. So, for sure. Um, I just recently finished essentially like a 17-week diet mm-hmm. where my body weight dropped from 249 to I think it was 208.7 mm-hmm. uh, the morning of the the photo shoot that I did. So I dropped a significant amount of body weight. Well, my cha- training had to change alongside that. Mm-hmm. So A, my the nutrition that I had was changing because obviously I was in a caloric deficit, especially towards the end. <clears throat> I was pretty aggressive with how I was pulling carbs down. Training performance obviously dissipated. Mm-hmm. Um, luckily, again, I think with not having the shotgun approach, I was able to maintain a high level of training performance for a while because I didn't have these extra things that were taking away from my recovery capacity because mm-hmm. I had such a finite amount of resources for recovery, right? Right. You had to be specific. I, I had to be very specific. If you're eating a thousand grams of carbs a day, like pff, can recover from anything. It's a lot of rice. It's a lot of rice. Yeah. When you're having a hundred grams of carbs a day and some days 60 grams of carbs, like you burn through that by the time you walk out the front door. Mm-hmm. Um, so the level of specific, uh, let me rephrase it. The level of accuracy has to be really high. And so anyway, training changed. I pulled out essentially. Normally I have two relatively heavy ish leg days, mm-hmm. sort of a, a squat focus one and a hinge focus one. Mm-hmm. Um, I pulled out that second day. So there was like some lunges and some leg curls and then like arm training. Mm-hmm. Cause I could not recover from having two hard leg days. Right. Um, and then alternatively, as I push into a massing phase in September, that second leg day will get integrated back in because I have the recovery capacity for it. Right. There's a tremendous amount of fatigue that you accrue. Um, dieting like that mm-hmm. on like a variety of systems in the body. 
So you're like completely burnt out by the end of it. Physically, mentally, um, spiritually, I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) So my training coming out of this, A, calories are higher, but they're not getting pushed through the roof. Training is, so we were talking about, again, these analysis, right? I know that in September, food, supplementation, training is all going to get pushed up. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a general principle, generally things that are going to drive a mechanical tension stimulus probably are going to have a little bit of a greater effect, like one for one in terms of uh, hypertrophy benefit. So like things that I can produce a ton of force with and things that are loaded in stretch positions, there seems to be like a decent amount of literature. And and I think just mechanistically kind of makes sense that those things are probably going to lead to a little bit more hypertrophy. Mm -hmm. So I know that that's coming, but those things also take a huge toll. Mm -hmm. Well, my ability to recover from that really hard training is going to make or break the progress that I can make. Right. So I have this, I've kind of called it a recovery phase or maintenance phase, whatever the heck you want to call it. Mm -hmm. So foods brought up sort of somewhere between maintenance to a slight, slight calorie surplus training, a training volumes, uh, train frequency is lower. So I normally train kind of a six day split. I'm on a five day split. And honestly, it's basically four and a half because one of those days is like an arm day. Mm-hmm. So they're relatively easy sessions to recover from. The volume is actually relatively high and I've biased it towards things that are not heavy in length and mid range positions. They're length, uh, sorry, they're biased towards things that are challenging in short positions. Right. So I want to have things that provide a relatively, I mean, I'm not doing hit training and stuff like that, but like in the context of bodybuilding, something that provides a relatively high stimulus for sort of uh, like a metabolic type stimulus Mm -hmm. to help aid my recovery capacity for what's coming in the future. That's kind of this forward thinking needs analysis. I can know what's coming. I'm going to work my way backwards. This isn't how I'm going to train all the time, but I can logic out that having a block like this is going to potentiate the meat and potato stuff that I'm really going to focus on later. Mm-hmm. So that would be, <clears throat> that would be the way that I would think about programming kind of for anybody. Mm-hmm. So again, like, and you might come up with a completely different answer than me mm-hmm. and it, to a certain degree is probably going to work. Right. I just based on my own perspectives and probably biases and stuff. Like I've kind of come to saying like, Hey, this seems like a pretty good idea. Kind of logic it out. I think it makes sense. It's probably going to be successful to some degree. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, hopefully to a high degree if I did a good job of it. Right. Um, but it all started with a needs analysis. Right. Mm-hmm. So I know that was a really long winded wait, but that's where, when you talk about, well, I did the six by six and it felt great instead of the three by 10. For sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And that's, and you know, that's just one example. And we do have a cameo about to uh, jump in next to me. I have Shannon. And so Shannon, just come on over to the microphone. Cause when we were having our conversation earlier, she like, put her, put up her hand like six times. Cause she's like, has something, so has something to say. So Shannon, what did you have to add to that? Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say when you were talking about the reps and reserve idea and whether you do something 
thinking about splitting volume up. So the amount of volume is the same, and whether you do all 10 reps in three sets or you split that up into more sets of fewer reps, the volume being the same doesn't mean that the potent like how close you are to failure is the same mm-hmm. right so that's like what ryan said where it comes back to goals what are what are you trying to achieve with that workout because yes you could be hitting the same volume but you're not going to be getting the same hypertrophic reaction or response because you're not as close to failure yeah i would agree with that and actually to add to that because that made me think of something as well and this is again where um thousand ways to skin a cat right like that's let's, really morbid but that's yeah, cool. i know i had an old, <laughs> I, usually, I had an old boss that said that all the time and it just stuck with me mine and is, i try not to think about what it actually would there's look a like thousand ways to peel a potato is what i say yeah yeah worst part is i have two cats so then i like say that and i look at them <laughs> like, and sorry, shed Bobo. a single tear yeah <laughs> well uh, two one for each of them uh but yeah so like if we want to expand on this idea so let's say um, you really like, we'll keep using your, your squat example, the three sets of squats versus the six sets of squats. Mm-hmm. So let's say you really like, you go through this, let's call it skill phase, sure, whatever you want to call it, but like the squat proficiency phase, you get really good at it. Your re- recovery capacity gets a little bit better. You're like, all right beefy quads time let's go let's go and you go well i really like training six sets of squats in a week but if i do six by ten i'm gonna be fucked mm-hmm. be super trash yeah and and mike Isratel, i'm gonna steal from him he talks about this you know mrv concept he sort of coined these terms um for those that don't know mm-hmm. mrv uh stands for maximum recoverable volume so the max amount of work that you can do and actually recover from, Mm -hmm. but there's a spectrum. So you've got max recoverable volume on one end kind of on the bottom would be like a maintenance volume. So there's a minimum amount of work you can do to stay the same. Then there's a minimum amount of work to make some progress. And then somewhere in the middle, and this is kind of a, they're all sort of moving numbers a little bit, but throughout a mesocycle, the maximum amount of adaptive volume that you can have probably goes up as your proficiency and your, um, and actually also your, uh, resistance to that stimulus goes up. The amount of work you have to do probably goes up as well. Right. So let's say you go, I really want to train six sets a week of squats. Um, there's no way in hell I can do that in a single session. And I probably agree. Let, let, let's say your thresholds, three squats in a workout. Mm-hmm. Probably you can recover from that in two or three days. And this is where I don't really do this because um, frankly, it, I would never want to end up, I am at work six days a week mm-hmm. and Sunday is always a day that I, like, I don't even train. Mm-hmm. Um, when people have like eight day training rotations or nine day training rotations, I actually think they're really smart. Mm-hmm. I just don't want to have to have it where like I have a leg day that ends up on a Sunday and I'm like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. <laughs> so I always do like a seven day rotation just cause it makes more sense for my lifestyle. I don't want to train on a Sunday. Mm-hmm. But this is where, like, let's say, ooh, t- like, two squat sessions every seven days, that's tough. But you could do t- two squat sessions every eight days. Like, let's say that that right. gives you ample recovery. Yeah. Now, every eight days, you have six sets within a certain proximity to failure, as opposed to three sets. Mm-hmm. 
and then you get a little bit better. And now that number is seven sets, eight sets. Like that number starts to go up. Mm-hmm. You still have exposure from a skill perspective. So this is one of those things where <clears throat> maybe I can't recover from that amount of volume in a single session, uh, but I can recover from that amount of volume in two sessions across eight days. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Uh, this. Yeah. It's coming back to um, one of the things that we've said before recording and during recording a few times, which is that the nuances of this, are, it's a make lends itself to very interesting conversations. Oh yeah. You know? Um, and, and like you said, there's, there's multiple ways to peel a potato. Yeah. And I think like, this is something I'm, I'm definitely playing around with more these days. Um, and I'm actually, there's a course that I'm likely going to take, um, sometime in the near future. So I've taken a course, the biomechanics and execution from N1 Mm -hmm. run by Kasim Hansen. Mm -hmm. They have a course that looks at program design with nutrition being a component of that. Cause that's a really big part of this is it's not just what you do in the gym. Mm -hmm. Right. For sure. Um, there's, I, I heard Uh, Something the other day in a podcast that I was listening to that said, uh, again, it was within the context of bodybuilding, but it would be the same for any kind of training. But it was like bodybuilding is the sport of who can recover the most. Mm. Your nutrition, your sleep, um, like all of these things, right? Um, So how do we integrate nutrition into our program design, right? Like I talked about before. Um, when I was dieting really, really hard, I had to pull volume and frequency down because mm-hmm. I couldn't recover from it. Right. I know that training performance is going to increase as food increases. So I can push training performance harder at certain points in time. So there are, those things are going to wave together. Um, I don't know necessarily what your audience is like, um, but depending, well, handsome, just say, handsome, handsome and beautiful. Cool. But if you talk about any high level competition, bodybuilding, powerlifting, Olympic lifting, sport, any of those, um, like drugs are a part of this, right? Yeah, totally. And that is a huge part of the the program design, right? Mm -hmm. Are people, you know, on or off cycle? What are they using? How does that play into the recovery? Also, what are the drawbacks to that? Because those things come at a cost as well, right? Mm -hmm. What are the health implications? How, like... This is the thing where if you've got somebody who isn't, you know, playing around with the special sports supplements, they probably don't have the need for a recovery phase quite as much, like a health phase, as some people are calling it these days. Interesting. You have people who, um, probably because it's the sport that uh, I'm going to, I don't want to say abuses, but it's bordering on it. The sport that abuses it the most is going to be bodybuilding. Hmm. And unfortunately, it's kind of a necessity for the competitive level of that. But you cannot run that stuff ad infinitum, right? Like Mm -hmm. you're going to die. So there has to be a period of time where that stuff pulls back and you have a focus on like, let's uh, improve health markers. Well, we also know that training really hard causes oxidative stress. We like, so am I going to push training really, really hard and cause this extra stress in this period of time that I'm trying to recover from the negatives from the drugs that I just took? Hmm. I'm going to probably pull all that stuff back. Hmm. And then I'm going to have this like really light uh, or like kind of laid back training phase. 
So again, the, it always comes back I, to... We, we personally never had these conversations yeah. about um, program design variables when it comes to anabolic drugs yeah. and stuff like that and how that would affect program design. So this is, this is really interesting. I'd never thought of you know, especially the perspective of viewing it as being like, not just like a recovery phase, but viewing it as a health Mm -hmm. phase, uh, a health phase that facilitates the longevity of the pursuit, which I think is really interesting and that people forget about that a lot, regardless of if they're on anabolics or not. Mm -hmm. Um, I gave a course a few days ago and that theme came up, which we can circle back to in a moment. Mm -hmm. But I, I really like that idea of like, listen, like what's the goal of this phase? This health phase is to promote health yeah. for long-term success. It's not just about facilitating hypertrophy within this this week here. And so therefore, we're going to pull back all of these stressors. We're going to turn the dials down on all these things and maybe turn the dials up on some of these other things here that... Yeah, like therapeutic measures. Yeah, yeah, for yeah sure. totally. I think that's a really cool. And I find the the the, the rebranding, the str- I don't know if this comes from you or someone else, but uh, let's say it comes from Ryan. Um, huh. the, the, the rebranding of it as being a health phase versus just recovery, mm-hmm. um, at least for me, really brings to mind, re- it reminds me immediately, what's the goal of this thing? And that it's very much something to potentiate you being able to get in further reps uh, in the future. I like that a lot. Yeah. And like, I was actually going to say just that. So I had a couple of thoughts. Gotcha. So I think that's a really key thing. Um, we look at from a macro perspective and what are some of the considerations we need to have for a, what I would call a successful mesocycle is how does it potentiate the next phase? Mm-hmm. So in this case, cause we were talking about like the health phase, quote unquote, potentiates me being able to push stuff when I'm supposed to push stuff. And I get, cause anything in training, I don't like whatever it is that you're training for the thing that's going to lead to the most success is the highest level of consistency for the longest period of time. So if this health phase allows you, so let's say in a short term, it means you have a, you can have a push phase that's 26 weeks instead of 16. You got 10 extra weeks of being able to push stuff hard before you had to pull back. Mm -hmm. Or maybe it means you got five extra years because you didn't just like smash your body to pieces. Right. Right. So like, <clears throat> how can I do these things? Cause uh, let's think of, think of it with like a car, right? Like if I'm driving to Toronto um, and I've just got like a sedan, like I've got a Ford focus that's like zero to 60 in five minutes. Um, <laughs> if I redline that motherfucker, I might make it to Toronto. Yeah. I'm certainly going to go fast. Yeah. As fast as a Ford focus goes, it starts rattling at 120. Yeah. yeah. But like, it's going to go the max speed that that thing can go. But I might break down by the time I hit Kingston. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Which for those that don't know, that's halfway. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) that's like two hours into a five hour drive. Yeah. Like maybe I might not make it all the way. I'm going to go really, really quick to however far I make it, but yeah. I'm not going to make it the whole way. If I go 100, 100 kilometers an hour and I have a pit stop, I go pee, I grab some food. Maybe my trip takes me six hours, but I get there. Yeah. I think that that's a really important consideration. I, I love, you know, and so one of the things that we, you're, you're teeing me off here, and this is something that uh, I preach a lot and 
that I mentioned in the last seminar that I alluded to earlier, I gave a course in Montreal a few days ago mm-hmm. um, to a group of trainers. And, you know, and, and the, the course itself was on hypertrophy in and of itself. And, you know, understanding that um, program design for hypertrophy is not my forte. It's not my greatest strength. Um, but there's one thing that seems to be really true in that it's a marathon. Yeah. You know? and, and that it's not just about how hard you can work in one session uh, but it's your ability to reap the compound interest of those behaviors over time. So one workout doesn't make you huge. One workout in a vacuum, you know, doesn't make you super strong. But it's your ability to to um, stack all of those workouts on top of each other, and then in the long run to reap the compound interest of those behaviors. And so the thing that we kind of ended that course with was, you know, don't lose sight. Like, don't be seduced necessarily by like the the short short term like wanting to necessarily like go hard in that moment. But it might actually be you know that don't lose sight of your long term goals based off of like just how you're feeling mm-hmm. on a given day or a given week, you know, and and succumbing to like shiny object syndrome and compromising your long term success. And you, you mentioned needs analyses and goals analyses at the beginning. And, yep. it, and I find this just brings it right back, right? Because it's like, if we don't have those conversations, if we're not clear about what are their goals, and then subsequently what you what they need to get those goals, then it becomes almost impossible to make decisions throughout that journey so as to manage those variables and move them in a direction that's favorable, at yeah. least in my words. Yeah, and I, and I think you mentioned something where it was like, refra- I think it was, we called it the health phase, mm-hmm. and reframing the way that we look at that particular phase and what the goal is in that phase. I don't necessarily like thinking, maybe it is one step back, two steps forward. Sometimes I think of it as like, take a pit stop, grab a burger, like, you know, recoup yeah. a bit and then keep going forward. Yeah. Um, just because this is kind of a, um, I guess, uh, I don't know what the word is. The thing I'm getting into more lately, both with myself and clients and whatnot, I was a little bit more into the bodybuilding game, mm-hmm. um, which I have found fascinating. Cause one of the things I really like about it, there's two things I've really liked about it. Cause I came from, I competed in powerlifting for, six or seven years. Mm-hmm. Um, powerlifting is so specific that there's kind of a finite number of things that make you better because ultimately you have to, you must practice the skill mm-hmm. of the competition squat bench and deadlift for a one rep max. So there's, there's not a whole lot of variation outside of that, that, is specific enough, right? Um, something with bodybuilding is lots of stuff works, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, and this, the thing that I like is the level of attention to detail has to be really high. Um, but may, well, maybe for some, I have, I would not ever consider myself somebody that had super awesome genetics. So I couldn't just lift a weight and have massive biceps. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so if we talk about reframing the purpose of certain phases, so people, again, coming out of a show, coming out of a really, really hard diet, something along those lines, 
there's a period of time where I'm not going to redline their training. Mm-hmm. The whole point is to recover from this really stressful period of time that we just went through, uh, not just physically. <clears throat> Another important thing is you push your body fat to levels that are so low um, that your body, like you will literally start to shut other systems down Yeah, because your body is just like, holy shit, man, like just stay alive. Mm-hmm. Like you are at unsustainable levels of low body fat. Um, and you're, you're essentially like controlling this spiral down to death. And like hoping that you don't die. And you take pictures at a very take pictures of strategic perfect moment. Time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With really good lighting and lots of baby oil. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, so like near death. Near death baby oil. Yeah. And, but like near yeah. death is probably not the optimal time to like train really, really hard and impose a lot of stress on your body. Mm-hmm. It's probably a terrible time to do it. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> one of the things that were that uh helps with that. So I couldn't tell you the specific number for women, for men, like once you're kind of at or above about 10% body fat, a lot of that stuff starts to normalize a bit. Mm -hmm. Some of those, um, uh, physiological processes like libido will start to come back. Um, cognition and stuff will start to improve a little bit. Um, and, and in fact, usually what you will see is, if people are, you know, quite below 10% body fat Mm -hmm. and they start eating food and training the way their body partitions nutrients, they don't actually just grow a bunch of muscle and a little bit of fat. People are like, Oh, it's this really anabolic phase. No, your body like wants body fat to be healthy. It's like, so you will disproportionately gain body fat. It's a smart thing to have. Yeah. Like Like, it's a survival survival, mechanism, right? Your body doesn't know that you want to look like shredded it Healed, knows yeah. that you want to be alive mm-hmm. so you'll mm-hmm. disproportionately partition nutrients to body fat up to kind of a certain point then stuff will start to level off and and probably from that point nutrient partitioning and whatnot will be better so anyway the reason why i'm saying this is that phase after training the way that i frame it successfully is my goal is to get fatter mm-hmm now, it's a controlled fat gain. The goal is not to balloon up and double my body fat, but my goal is to get my body fat up to a healthy level and dissipate a bunch of stress and be the like be the version of me that has the least number of like bumps and bruises on me when it's time to then push hard again. Mm-hmm. It's not a sexy sounding training strategy. It's about priming in a it's way. It's priming. Right? It's, it's exactly like, that. Yeah. You like, you know, like if you're, I'm, I've been really into F1 over the last mm-hmm. like year and a bit. And so it's like, cool. You have a race after the, and you, you pushed hard during mm-hmm. the race. The, the, the engine needs a tune up. You got to fix some stuff. Maybe there's pieces of metal that are bent a little bit. You went over the curb a little bit too much. And so you fix all of those things, you tweak them. And then, uh, you know, you get it ready for the next next race weekend. Excuse yeah. me. You know, it's interesting. I find it's like these these trends mm-hmm. of like go hard, back off, go hard, back, like they're everywhere. Yeah. You know, uh, uh, it's, it's an inescapable fact, and in that when you go too hard for too long, it and it has very predictable consequences, yep. regardless of like whichever context we're talking about here. Yeah, I think uh, I, I believe it was Mike Isertel said once. And I loved this. And he was like, 
if you push training hard enough without ever, you know, taking a deload or, or scaling back anything like that, if you just push it hard all the time, you will eventually deload. Your body will just decide yeah. for you. Yeah. It's like, you won't even have a choice. Like you're going to blow a quad tendon off right. the bone. Um, and probably if you had just taken a light week, a couple of times throughout the year, uh, that would have been fine. But now you got yourself hurt or sick or something. And now you're recovering from the injury or the illness and you're off way longer. Like the, the, in mm-hmm. you know, it's like the higher they go, the, the harder they fall kind of thing. Right. For sure. So, and then subsequently that deters from the long-term progress 100%. that we, right. And then, yeah. Like this was one of the big reasons that I eventually, um, kind of got burnt out from powerlifting, mm-hmm. um, and sort of shifted gears into the bodybuilding thing was I, man, I think half of, I think any sport, your body picks it for you. Um, like I, I don't get to decide to be seven feet tall and go in the NBA. Yep. I'm seven feet tall. And I, you know, I think it's one sixth of Americans who are seven feet tall have played in the NBA. Hmm. It's like some crazy statistic yeah. <laughs> or like, um, you know, Calvin Johnson is six foot five, 240 pounds and runs like a four, two forty. Like he was going to go to the NFL. Mm-hmm. Um, he wasn't going to do ballet. Like his body f- decided that for him. Mm-hmm. I think that powerlifting, way less money in that sport. Um, you basically get a plastic trophy and like some supplements if you win stuff, and that's about <laughs> it. Um, and like tons of nosebleeds. But in powerlifting, I think a huge part of it, like, you know, people talk about limb lengths and proportions and stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the biggest thing is like how much of that load can your body handle without getting hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to, just because he was one of the, uh, one of the instructors at the course that I was at this past weekend, mm-hmm. um, I was at a pre-script course. Uh, Stu Locke is a powerlifter here in Ottawa, uh, and he's very, very strong. And he's he, had, is he one of the instructors? Yes, or? he is. Okay, so cool. I didn't know. So that. he's had injuries from sport, mm-hmm. and I believe I could be wrong. I believe he had said he basically hasn't had an injury lifting, and he totals like eighteen hundred. Mm-hmm. My like total was 16 something and I kept getting hurt. So I would string together training and then I like tore my pack and then I blew my back out and then I strained my pack and then I had bicep tendonitis and then I tore my hamstring. And then it was uh, like, I could not sustain the loads in training required to get me stronger mm-hmm. um, in spite of whatever I tried to do. Um, and I think that there was like a genetic piece to that. Yep. Maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe I could have stuck it out and eked out, but I was kind of at the point where <clears throat> I'm sure I could get stronger, but I couldn't stay healthy. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of spun my tires for like two years of just like recovery, train, 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 get kind of strong, handle some loads, break, mm-hmm. recover, train, 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 get kind of strong, break. Yeah. Uh, without really making any substantial progress on my, on my total. Right. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. So we're going to, uh, you know, so as we, as we kind of start to get towards the, the, the end of today, my, you know, with, with your background that you have in program design. And I mean, as it's, it's evident, not only in this conversation, but just, you know, through the, the few handful of years that we've known each other mm-hmm. and, and work and worked together. Six. Six, it's been six, six years. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, and that time has flown by. Yeah. Um, and I so about a wee lad. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And now I've got, now I've got monster quads, whereas before they were puny, right, Ryan? Hey. There you go. Yeah. Uh, For anybody that can't, that's not here and can't see, they're massive. They got huge clouds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so wince, one might say. Yes. Yeah. So you know, it's 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 been evident since we've started working together that uh, you're not only well versed um, in this subject, but you also don't have an attachment to ideals, which I think is mm-hmm. really important. And it's a quality that I really admire of yours. And uh, fortunately, you know, with the work that you're doing, from my understanding, um, you know, if people want to learn more about uh, you, you know, like how to manipulate these types of variables. There are some opportunities to work with you in a client and coach relationship. So can you tell the listeners a little bit more about that? And then also some of your other projects that you're working on? Yeah. So uh, I guess the easiest thing, the easiest way to find me, uh, I would be, I was going to say the most active, but I am only active on Instagram um, at evolutionperformance.ep. So any of my contact info is on there, or you can reach out to me on that directly. Cool. Um, but predominantly it's going to be coaching, um, both in terms of exercise programming, as well as nutrition, um, anything related to, uh, strength training and body composition. Um, the only thing I would say is if you have Olympic lifting type goals, I'm probably not the guy for you. I can't even do a front rack position. Right. But there are really good coaches that do that. <laughs> um, and we know people. And we know people. Yeah, yeah. So that's actually, if if there are people who are listening to this um, that happen to like what we've had to say and have questions, uh, hopefully there are things that I can help you out with. And if there aren't things that I can help you with directly, um, I think either one of us have enough connections that we can get people set up with the right person. Yeah, no doubt. So final question that I have for you is, is there something that, I should have asked that I didn't. Ooh. Hmm. It's tough to say. Cause I'm like definitely a rambler. Half the time I forgot the question that you asked and I was just talking. <laughs> right. well, that's the, also the nature Ooh. of the conversations though, right? Is True. that they are so nuanced that you, you can take your answers in like, I would say thousands of different directions, but probably, hmm. you know? Um, so, you know, no harm done. I think it's. A, I don't think it's necessarily just a reflection of perhaps uh, communication tendencies, but also uh, just a reflection also of the subject matter too. So. Actually, I do want to ask, um, and this isn't even a plug. Uh, I just haven't even had an, an opportunity to ask you too much. Mm-hmm. Um, what's like in the pipeline for you? What's in the pipeline for me? It's um, a good question. Uh, hopefully, bringing back the cadaver lab. You know, that's been something that. I've been wanting to do again for about three years, but given the whole COVID situation uh, and a few other variables in my life, it's been a little bit challenging, but uh, cadaver labs for sh- I'm going to say for sure. Uh, 2022. For maybe. Yeah, no, no. I, I really want to do them. Even if it's only once a year, mm. um, it's too important to not make it available. So cadaver labs, that's one. Um, and then I've been working with a business coach to restructure the back end of the exercise mechanics so as to take, uh, new trainers through a very structured educational process that is interesting and relevant to them. So as to teach them the components so that they can think critically and, and, um, and also having a series of offerings. So that way, when people jump in that they're not diving necessarily into the deep end, if that's not what they want, as we know, there's some 
beginners. In fact, Shannon here, like, you know, right next to us, who from the moment that we started working together was receptive to being like, yeah, let's go, like, throw it all at me. And like, there was the, there was, um, uh, a willingness. Yeah. There's a willingness to learn and also an ability to tolerate that process, but not everybody's at that stage, you know? And so, yeah. So myself and my coach are in the, are in the process of, and I would say it's pretty much done now of restructuring the whole back end of the educational journey. So as to make sure that people at various points in their journeys can jump in and start to get access of some of this information. So that's the, that's the stuff. Um, I want to be respectful of time, but I actually sure. do have a follow-up question as well. Okay. Um, the tables have turned. The tables have turned. <laughs> well, this is something, and I'm sure this is a subject that we could all spend another hour on. Mm-hmm. Um, part three. Part three. I'm really curious because this is the fitness uh, industry has moved so heavily into the online space. Mm-hmm. And there are some people who are doing it really well. And like anything, there's people who are maybe missing the mark a bit. Uh, I would say, because a lot of your business model is online mm-hmm. at this point. Yep. What would you say, either for yourself or if you had to give maybe like quick advice to somebody how to be successful moving into the online space in the fitness industry? What would you say? Wow. I, I feel woefully underqualified to have a, a stance on this. Um, what I would say is hire help. Okay. Yeah. Hire help. That would be the biggest one. There's um, there's so much to learn and there's lots of various ways you can go with this. And actually to bring it back to one of the things that you said at the beginning, which was it's a little bit less about what you say yes to and a little bit more about what you say no to. That mm-hmm. feels very relevant to getting into the online online world. <laughs> it, there's There's so much that you could do. And it's overwhelming. Mm. It's one of the benefits of online work is you can reach so many people and there's infinite amounts of things you can do. So what are you going to choose to do? How do you narrow that down? And um, that's tough. It's really, it's really, 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 really tough to zero in on perhaps a program or a product or a way of doing things. And that's why my recommendation would be to work with somebody um, is that like, uh, put the ego aside, which took me a long time to do, and just acknowledge that there's people that have had a lot of success with this and um, learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, pay for advice, pay to speed up the process, um, and to once again bring back one of the things that you said earlier, because it's either you're going to do it at the beginning or you're going to do it later once you've smashed your head into the wall enough and you 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 realize, oh, dang, I can't do this by myself. So yeah. you either do it at the beginning uh, uh, from a place of choice or the situation will impose it on you. Yeah. Right. But either way, it's likely going to lead to you working with people. And most of the most successful companies in this space uh, all have a team. Of people, And so as much as there's a face to the business, it might be a person or a series of people on the back end, there's lots of advisors from uh, financial advisors to business coaches, to marketing specialists, branding specialists, all of those things on the back end. So I would say just hire a person or a team, someone who has had the success that you are, are looking for, um, or perhaps that you have confidence that can take you the first few steps. I would say do that. 
that answer your question? That does. You still haven't answered mine. I don't remember what it was. Oh, the question that you should have asked me? Yes. Is there anything that comes up for you? Oh, shit. Hmm. Hmm. While you're thinking about that, Shannon, is there anything else that you'd like to add to today's conversation? You've been eavesdropping, eavesdropping for about an hour and a bit. Anything you'd like to add? There's always lots of stuff that can be added, but nothing super important or pressing right now. Beautiful. Sounds like a growth mindset <laughs> right there. I love it. Final yeah, words, weird, Ryan. Weirdly, this is the toughest question you've asked me all day. Mm-hmm. Um, hmm. Let's say, ask me a movie-related question. Movie-related question. For anybody who does or doesn't know me, I guess. Um, I have like a couple of passions in life. Clearly, uh, things related to training is a massive one. Mm-hmm. Um sport related stuff and i like spend all of my free time watching tv yeah so if it's like not training related or like reading about sports it is watching something cinematic cool so let's say something movie or tv show related okay deal i'll keep that in my back pocket for next time cool thank you so much ryan thank you shannon thank you so much it's been a lot of fun and for uh, you know uh Uh, inviting me into your home for today's chat. I really appreciate it. Yeah, for sure, man. Shout out to Ryan for today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about him or to work with him, make sure you check out the show notes. It's all linked there. Keep your eyes peeled for our next episode where we sit down and chat with Michael Golden, a neuroscience wizard and head instructor for Z Health Education.